The following audio brought to you by TSF Entertainment Podcast may contain graphic descriptions of violence and or audio clips of violence or sexual explicit events. Listener's discretion is advised. What's going on, TSF Entertainment Podcast? This is your host, Retro CG, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Miss Really BTV. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's going on? Yeah, well, I'm here. I'm good. We had a, a couple of week breaks. We had to, but we here with a new case to talk yeah. about. Yeah, we're here tonight, and so tonight we're going to talk about the strange death of Keith Warren. Was this murder or lynching? Definitely a lynching. That's my opinion. A little background on the uh, case. In 1986, Keith Waddell Warren was a 19-year-old student living in the affluent community of Silver Spring, Maryland. He was originally born in Topeka, Kansas to a Cleo and Mary Warren. He moved to Silver Spring in 1979 with his mother and his sister Sherry. Um, Shortly after that, his parents divorced and um, he pretty much stayed with his mother. So I think he had visitation with his uh, father back and forth. Um, but on July the 31st, 1986, at approximately 2 p.m., Keith was discovered deceased in the woods behind his family townhome um, by a neighbor. Um, and I hear different accounts uh, that uh, whether or not this was actually a neighbor or uh, someone that was in the neighborhood that uh, Keith was hanging out with. But her name was Claudia Michelle Lawson, and she was said to have been uh, walking her dog and discovered his body hanging in a tree in the woods behind their townhomes. On other accounts, she originally called the 911 call in. A suicide had occurred in her basement. So let's talk about this, uh, CP. All right. So, what do you want to? I mean, would you talk about what the the lot the the nine one one call, or you want to go back? Like, what do you what do you mean? Let's get. Well, let's set the tone for what happened on this particular day. Uh, so, okay. it, apparently, from what I understand from uh, most of the research that I've done on the case, it appears that he had went p- missing prior to his body being discovered. Right. He, it, it, From what I've read, that there was an argument. There was some sort of disagreement um, about the car. We'll We'll get back to that, but him and his mom had gotten to a disagreement. His mother told him his father was coming to get the car. He was upset. He went out to, you know, went out with some friends and he had been gone for about a day or so. And it was less than 48 hours because when his mom went to the police to try to record it, they told her she had to wait uh, 48 hours, but he hadn't been home. And that wasn't his normal, <clears throat> excuse me, his normal behavior. So and yeah. he and she had attempted to call around to friends to see if anyone knew where he was. Right. And of course, no one knew where he was. Right. So uh, I have also read um, uh, in regards to the whole car situation. So apparently uh, his father had gifted him a uh, uh, I think it was a 1979 uh, Corvette. Mm-hmm. And um, Keith had just recently lost his job. And so uh, his car insurance was coming due. Uh, his car insurance was $2,000. And I don't know why in the world his car insurance would be $2,000. But uh, apparently Keith was not able to afford the car insurance. And um, having recently just lost his job definitely had put him in a financial strain to uh, pay such an expensive car insurance. But I'm a, but, but some of the research that I looked at said that there was some discrepancy with that with that job situation that um, his family said he didn't lose his job, that he was leaving that job and he was starting another job. The other thing I read was he was getting ready to go to college in a couple of weeks. So I've heard different stories about this job, this job situation and 
it's not important so much as to whether he could afford the insurance or not, but it's important to when we get to his state of mind and the police, the police officer that investigated what he was trying to say his state of mind was. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, apparently, uh, I'm sorry, the car was a 1976 Corvette. It was a blue okay. Corvette. Okay. And um, My apparently uh, it was a graduation gift by his father, Cleo. And um, he was in good spirits about the car and having the car because uh, apparently the him having that car boosted his popularity with his friends and some of the I'm girls. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. So, uh, but uh, I, I hear that he had lost his job on. I'm I'm trying to establish a timeline at this point. So on July the 21st, they're saying that he had lost the car. Uh, well, he had lost the job, mm-hmm. and the car insurance payment was coming due. Right. On the 29th, his father notified him that he was coming to Maryland from Durham, North Carolina, to pick up the car on the 31st of July to take it back. And okay, and this is when he was found uh, reportedly deceased on the 31st. So a a lot of people speculate that he, uh, in a depressive state, committed suicide and we'll get to why we feel like this was more of a lynching than a suicide but okay but the problem with that i have with this is uh a lot of people support the suicide narrative because he had uh recently went and visit with his father and um he had stayed down there in um North Carolina for a couple of days and him and his father had got into an argument. Um, now, several accounts report that it was an argument over the family relationship. Apparently, uh, his father and his uh, mother had a very tumultuous relationship and um, mm-hmm. which led to the divorce. Mm-hmm. And um, Keith was affected by that and suffered a mental breakdown while he was out visiting with his father. And his mother had went to uh, pick him up. I chalk this up to being growing pains with uh, teenagers and parents and divorce and separation. Sometimes uh, adults don't seem to realize the effect a tumultuous relationship and a a nasty divorce takes on their children. So I think this was more so him just being frustrated with his parents and his living situation, bouncing back and forth between two different parents and two different states. So I'm quite sure that was very uh, difficult for him. So I'm not going to say that it was uh enough to make him depressed and want to kill and, himself and i'm gonna say this and, uh, and 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 you know i looked at a i looked at um i listened to you know we we both of us did i did research some of the stuff we we listened to was the same some of it we listened to was different but in nothing that either one of us were able to find were we able to really get a lot of information about the father's point of view on this? Like I didn't read anything where the father said, well, no, this was true or no, this wasn't true or this happened or that that happened. But from where I sit and I'm just going to throw a little bit of common sense and logic. And I know everything isn't always a logical thing, but number one, if Keith and his father had such a tumultuous relationship, which we know they had arguments. And like you said, you could chalk it up to a teenager dealing with a you know dealing with two parents and that kind of thing but he was going to Durham to go to school to be closer to his father and I feel like he could have chosen any other school to go to why would he go if he had such a hard relationship with his father why would he go to the place the one place his father was you know what I'm saying right I I mean and and even if he wanted to go to North Carolina there were I mean North Carolina's got a million schools where he doesn't have to be in Durham where his father lives. So I feel like I feel like the police, and this is just me again on the outside looking in, are kind of putting 20 on 10 with that to say, oh well, him and his dad had this huge argument. Cause I think that was like the year before. It wasn't even like it was like a month. It was like that summer before or something like that, right? Uh, or, I believe so. Or, yeah. So we're saying that a year later he's still so angry with his father that he's going to move and go to college in the exact same place where his father is. It just, to me, that's not logical to make that make sense. And this car situation is just weird to me too, because again, he's literally getting ready to come to North Carolina in a couple of weeks. So you're going to drive to Maryland to take the car back to North Carolina. And what made y'all think that a 19 year old was going to be able to 
cover that kind of a bill. That is just, that's ridiculous. Like, I haven't always had the best driving record. I've had high insurance before. I mean, granted, I wasn't driving a sports car either, but that is, I mean, you think if $2,000 is a lot of money now, $2,000 $2,000 in 1986? It's, it's, it's a lot of speculation behind this whole car situation because it's so close in the timeline of, right. of uh, him being notified by the father that um, he was coming to get the car and then him shortly uh, thereafter expiring. So there's a lot of speculation around the whole uh, car situation that leads people to believe that it's possible that he may have uh, decided to commit suicide Mm -hmm. because he was that upset over the loss of the car because uh, again they noted that uh, him having the car uh, lifted his spirits and he had uh, increased his popularity with the car so losing it and even though he was getting ready to go to school in a couple of weeks all this did happen in a matter of exactly something changed um in his father's decision in allowing him to keep the car or even for that matter helping him to keep the car so for whatever reason the father decided that you know this was not an expense that he wanted to take on right and decided to um in essence repossess the car which i mean i think that's pretty shitty but um you know uh, I, I I just uh, we spend a lot of time on this whole car situation and not knowing what Keith's uh, state of mind was. Obviously, he he was probably upset. Right. Um, I don't know if upset enough to kill himself, but uh, right. upset and I, enough not to come home. And I so, agree because I feel like that's what the police did, though. I feel like the police put a whole lot on this car situation justifying their explanation of what happened. You know what I'm saying? Without exactly. having a lot of information or having a lot of the facts, that was that's how I felt about it when I was look, reading this and I was listening to. I'm like they're putting a whole lot on this car, and that's not to say that it can't be true. We know that you know people put value in materialistic things sometimes, and you know, like you said, it did make him the man, you know, around town. But I don't know, I don't know. It was a lot though. It was a lot of focus put on this this whole situation. So we're not. Focused. We're not putting too much on it as far as like us getting caught up in it, but anything we saw and read, this car was an issue. So when his body was discovered by, uh, and I'm going to do my air quotes, quote unquote, Miss Claudia Lawson, when his uh, body was discovered as she was walking her dog, um, mm-hmm. it was suspended from a tree by a noose that was extending from a uh, elaborate rope arrangement so apparently this uh noose that was uh used to uh hang him with was tied to another tree and then looped over a a little sapling a smaller sapling and then arched up over a branch so his feet were on the ground and his Mm -hmm. knees were bent in sort of a sitting posture which that's an odd position for uh someone to hang themselves but nevertheless uh it, it it's just it's weird and so when the uh the Montgomery County uh deputy medical examiner uh I think at the time was John Rogers he conducted a brief visual inspection of the scene and found that there was no evidence of trauma or foul play so of course they naturally ruled his death as a suicide Mm-hmm. And they reported at the time that he used a log to jump off of, and this is how he was able to uh, uh, apply a pressure to his body uh, with the noose and this whole rope arrangement. So to me, I feel like this is a little complex of a uh, construction of this whole noose for a 19-year-old who's in duress, who's depressed or who's just manically upset with his parents because his car is getting ready to take away from who's going to take the time to construct such an elaborate uh, way to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, That just stands out odd to me. Yeah, Um, I mean, the minute they said his feet were on the ground, I was like, it's not impossible. We know it's not impossible, but that is very hard to hang yourself when you are literally touching the ground. Like, that's really 
I, again, not and beyond that, but this, this rope sounds like it's got to be every bit of twenty five feet. <laughs> I mean, this rope has to be pretty, right. a pretty long. Yeah, uh, flipped rope. and dipped and turned and switched. And, it yeah, dipped and turned and twisted on. and yeah. tied to this tree, drug all the way to this tree, hoisted over to this tree, tied in a noose, put around his neck. So, my question becomes: Where did he get the materials at to construct it? Where visually, where did he even decide that this is the tree that I'm going to tie it to? This is the tree that I'm going to throw it over. I mean, it, it, there's some yeah, geometrical. There definitely would have had to be some forethought into yes, it. Yes, this wasn't just happenstance. It, or forethought put into it, or at the very least, more than one person to construct this, uh, this contraption. Because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a contraption. It doesn't sound mm-hmm. like I'm just going to tie a rope around my neck and I'm going to just uh, tie it to something. I'm going to jump off and there I am, um, hung myself. It, it sounds like it was some some planning that was done with it. His mother was died of his death until six hours later. There was no autopsy ordered. Uh, the investigating officer that was at the scene decided on the funeral home that he needed to go to. He was embalmed without the family's permission. I mean, this is where before everything his, starts. Before to his mother even knew, he had he had been sent to the funeral home and his body embalmed before his mother even knew he was dead. I, I that I that it's there's a lot of crazy things in this story, but that has got to be one of the most not just crazy but enraged. Like I was enraged when I heard that. I'm not even a mother, but I can only imagine that being my child. Like, I, I can't wrap my brain around that. Keith's fa- uh, family initially accepted the suicide ruling, but over time, uh, there were certain facts and um, things start to weigh in on the family that caused them to be a little bit more uh, suspicious of the suicide ruling. And, and, and rightfully so, wanted a proper investigation to determine whether it was homicide or whether it was suicide of what the outcome of the investigation would have uh, yielded, we need to know. So if he took his life, he took his life, we have to accept that. However, if there is a possibility that he did not do so, then we want to know otherwise. And even to this day, the father had is the father accepted the ruling of suicide. However, some of the facts and the evidence and some of the things that are later determined uh calls them to question whether or not this is suicide. Again, well, well, at we, some point, we, we the, more so feel like this is a lynching than anything. Right. Well, at some point, the father stopped accepting it because they, um, they've said their father offered a $5,000 reward to anybody that had information. So, at some point, he, he, um, he, he no longer accepted that. It's also important to note that the father is in law enforcement or worked yeah. in law enforcement yeah. as well. Yeah. So uh, independently, I mean, me as a parent, first and foremost, and secondly, as law enforcement, I, there, heaven and earth wouldn't have stopped me from investigating this case myself and using my own resources and knowledge. Yeah. Uh, I would have had to... Uh, to uh, properly investigate this or at the very least knock on the right doors that I needed to knock on attorney general, medical examiners. Uh, I would have had to employ some other resources to help uh, bring in. You're not going to, you're not going to run game on me like this. I work in law enforcement. I know how a case should be investigated. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, I felt as though the father should have used his experience um, as law enforcement to uh, gain or garner uh, more support from uh, the local authorities mm-hmm. because it seems the local authorities are content with the suicide ruling they don't want to spend any more time or resources investigating this case however uh, as these other oddities come into factor you would think that would force someone to reopen the case and say hey we need to take a closer look at this there's several oddities that are just not making sense one starting with uh, this Lawson chick. So the original uh, firefighter EMT that uh, reported to the scene, Dallas Lip, uh, responded to the scene and stated that when he arrived to the address that was given during the 911 call, there was a long pause before anyone answered the door. 
Inside, there were two males. One was identified as a Chip Wynn and a female, Claudia Lawson, who was the original 911 caller, who was Chip's girlfriend. They discussed among themselves whether any one of them had called. So that that part, I'm I'm just I'm stuck at that part because they're 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 drowsing the first oddity in suspicion. Eventually, Claudia led the EMT team to where the body was at mm-hmm. after she had recounted her original statement to nine one one operator that he had committed suicide in her basement. But now we go from her basement to the woods behind the backyard, the right? Yeah. So. Yeah, so let me say this. I feel like, and you know, both of us love true crime, which is obviously why we, you know, we talk about some of these cases. And a lot of these cases seem like, oh, it's, you know, it's so complicated. Oh my goodness, how will we ever find out what happened? And then there are other cases that seem like somebody knows something. In my opinion, this is one of those cases where I feel like if the police would just go back to the beginning, and do like real police work. I feel like this would be an easy case to solve because something like that is just blatant. Like she calls 911 and says, somebody committed suicide in my basement. And then the police show up and they the one of the accounts I listened to said it took them a long time to answer the door. Correct. And then once they answer the door, now all of a sudden, oh no, no. We're he's scrambling not in to the get basement. a story together. Right. Yes. He's not in the basement, he's out back. And they, the the two guys that were at the house with her wouldn't even go with the police. They were like, Mm-mm, you take them down there. So it's almost like they stayed back at the house to maybe finish cleaning up or to do something while the police were out back being distracted. And so I just feel like if they would go back to those people and put a little pressure, especially now that it's like, you know, 20 years later, I don't know. It just seems It just seems to me like there might be I, it just seems like it would be an easy fix because to me that is so blatant. Like, who would get away with that? In in today's time, you called nine one one to say, "Oh, there's a body in my basement." Oh no, no, never mind. It's out back. Like, who who gets away with that? And how do you make such a, a a big discrepancy like that? And that's not called into question, right? Because I never heard. I mean, did you in your research find any interviews with these people? Any current interviews? Like to hear what you know? Because again it seems to me like that's where you start. Like, I'm going back to them, and I'm like, wait a minute, y'all need to make this make sense to me, because that makes no sense. EMT immediately was on alert, and they did not feel like right. this was a suicide right. by hanging. Uh, the fact that the tr- the smaller tree would not have been su- sufficient enough to support his weight, and, and the authorities saying that he jumped off a log where EMT stated that they did not see nothing at the scene for him to have jumped from. Right. And the unusual was tied between the trees was more conducive to a hoisting. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what it sounds like that mm-hmm. it was something that was constructed to hoist dead weight or something mm-hmm. that was heavy mm-hmm. in the air rather than a suicide. So his impression of the scene immediately was that it was a lynching. Right. However, authorities were unwilling to investigate that. Right. And the police officer that investigated, I'm sorry, I just want to make sure I'm remembering everything. When he he was overheard saying this would happen on my on my lunch break. So that just lets you know the attitude that he showed up to the case to begin with. Like how do you show up to a 19-year-old dead saying, "Huh, they would interrupt my lunch break for this." You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was very insensitive comment to make um, regarding what had happened. Uh, the family insists that Keith was not suicidal. They stated that they think Keith may have been murdered because apparently mm-hmm. he had been he had started recently running with a rough crowd, and we'll get in a little t- uh, we'll get into what we consider this rough crowd to be. But it was said that. Uh, uh, one of Keith's friends uh, prior to his death his name was Rodney Kendall who was actually one of the person that ID'd Keith's body in the tree mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, had been approached by a group of black males that had been looking for Keith and they seemed to be rather frantic um, now this case was actually covered on um, 
Unsolved Mysteries. I do remember this segment very uh, carefully. In the reenactment of the scene, yeah, the, the 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 black men that showed up in the car that was looking for Keith, they were rather frantic, frantic. Uh, about mm-hmm. finding him. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if that's to be the case or not. That's Rodney's account of how they approached him. Which Rodney found that it was very odd that a group of black guys were looking for Keith because they said that Keith had uh, predominantly hung out with white males. Uh, those were his friends. He didn't hang out with black males. Even his sister on the Unsolved uh, Mystery segment said that all of the years that they had been living there, she had never seen Keith have any black friends over. She had never seen any of them in the house. That mm-hmm. typically all his friends were white. Yeah. So it was odd to note that they were looking for him. So uh, they feel as though because he had a mixed crowd of friends now that uh, some he had been introduced to some type of troubles, maybe drugs or uh, maybe some things that on tour had been going on with this group of friends that he had recently became a part of. So uh, there's a bit of mystery there trying to define who these friends were because uh, apparently none of these gentlemen ever came forward to speak right. to as to why they were looking for Keith and it was just really bizarre. And honestly, and again, uh, I know this is me putting a lot of conjecture, but we know that so we know that most of Keith's friends were white and again, I felt like the description of oh, a rough crowd, I felt like that was cold for he started hanging with a bunch of black kids because, again, nothing was ever given to substantiate, oh, well, we suspect this or we suspect that. But we know that he was going to an HBCU. So he was going to a predominant, well, an all-black college. And, I'm, you know, it could just as easily have been some kids he started hanging out with that he was going to be going to school with. It could have just as easily have been, you know, something like that. And, again, I just keep wondering, like, I don't know. To me, it's just cold. I don't know. It just it when I listened to it the first time, that's what it struck me as. And you know, I don't want to feel like I'm being like overly sensitive about it, but that's just what it hit me as the first time. Was what does that mean? A rough crowd? Like what? What do you mean? Because now he's hanging with black kids, or are these really black kids that really have a reputation? Like what is that based on? Well. I, I definitely can understand why you feel that way, and I can see how you could come to that conclusion. But uh, part of me feels like maybe the the, the friends weren't uh, maybe the best of friends to be hanging out with because none of them have ever came forward to uh, defend themselves, defend their relationship with Keith, defend uh, the fact, or even for that matter, speak to. Um, and I know a lot of times when um, things like this happen to someone, people want to disassociate themselves with it because they don't want to be persons of interest, harassed by the media, social media. At that time, social media didn't exist. And, you know, you didn't have to worry about uh, all the repercussions that come with being associated with a murder case or a missing persons case or whatever the case may be. But back in 1986, you know, there was a very little risk of, you know, public notoriety. So the fact that none of these friends never came for and spoke to their relationship with Keith uh, makes me feel as though maybe they weren't the best uh, side of town to be hanging out with. But, but okay, that, I'll I mean get that's to just that. my opinion. No, 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 no. That's not the part I'm saying. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like again, and this is just me and my theory, which we can get to my theory when we, you know, we get to the end and we talk about it. That's assuming that that part of the story is true. Correct. And I'll I'll get to that, I guess, when we get to the theory of why I'm saying that. But yeah, assuming that that part of the story is true, you're, everything you just said is accurate. But I'm not too sure. And, you know, no disrespect to Reginald, but I'm Rodney. not too sure. I mean, Rodney, excuse me. I'm not too sure that I'm believing that part of the story. If Because... It, for my theory of what happened to Keith. Okay. So let's move on then. Yeah. Um, no because problem. I'm curious to get to that point. Um, so in 1992, April the 9th, 1992, on Keith's 25th birthday. So we're talking about a couple of years. What, about six years six, at this point? Six yeah, years. about mm-hmm. six years. So six years later, 
on his 25th birthday, Mary comes home, which is his mom, and she mm-hmm. finds a manila envelope addressed to her with no return address on her front porch. Inside the envelope, there were five pictures of Keith's body as it was found in 1986. They were copies of original police photos, and they mm-hmm. showed him at different angles, hoisted mm-hmm. in the tree, hanging in the tree. Where did these pictures come from? Okay, I believe it was one Mary of the had officers. never seen these pictures before, and she immediately noticed some strange things as she was reviewing the pictures. Mm-hmm. She did not recognize the clothes that Keith was wearing, right? Including the shoes that he was wearing. He was wearing a pair of white running shoes and he was known for his signature brown boots. Apparently, Keith never wore sneakers. He always wore these signature brown boots that were actually given to the family after he passed along with his jacket. So mm-hmm. the the they recovered the clothing from the scene. They turned over to the family was his jacket and his brown boots. However, in the pictures that Mary is now looking at is he has clothes on that she's never seen before that weren't turned over to her, including the shoes. What is this? Well, I think... The boots weren't photographed in in any of the pictures, but yet they were turned over to the family. Right. So where'd they come from? Like, where, how did the police get these boots? And the police could the even explain. They couldn't even explain. Exactly. Like, how where did the pictures get the came from? Right. I think that I personally feel like somebody that she had, I feel like she had gotten, because the thing about his mom is that his mother never stopped fighting for her son. Once she no longer accepted the suicide theory, you know, she went to the police. She, she went to um, officials in Montgomery County. She had organizations that were helping her. She had a website. So, like, she wasn't quiet. And I just feel like somewhere along the way, somebody... But, but I feel like from 1986, from when he passed to 1992, she had been quiet. I don't know. She, well... I, because I think a, what these pictures ignited a lot of this. This this is what this is what fueled the fight right here because there were so many inconsistencies just by looking at the pictures. Not only that, but there was a threatening note that was attached to the pictures. Inside, there was two additional friends that were of Keith's that were named that they would be next, which was Mark Finley, and he was one of the guys that was frantically looking for Keith prior to Keith being found dead. And a Laurent, a Laurent Beerman was the two individuals that were named in the pictures uh, with a little sticky note attached to them saying that it would be net. Exactly four months later, Mark is found killed in a bizarre bicycling accident 10 miles right. away from where Keith's body was found at in the woods. Right. Tell me it's not connected. And his case was deemed Freak accident, tra- tragic accident, no investigation done to it, closed case. I mean, it seems like these cases are just uh, disposition, closed, no further investigation, tied up real quick with a blow. Uh, we got a clearance rate going here. Our clearance rate is closed. You know, it's not a homicide. So, you know what? Our numbers don't go up. It's not a homicide. Mm-hmm. I, I, what I was saying was, I think somebody in the police station... Got you know because they're police photos. Like somebody who had access to those photos had to tell, had to send those pictures to his mom. And I, I think agree. it was, I think it was a police somebody. And I don't think it was the guy on the case because the guy on the case just seemed like, excuse, I just seemed like he didn't care from the beginning. I was going to say, I was going to say something else, but let me be polite. He just seemed like he wasn't interested, and in he from the beginning. But I think Agreed. somebody that she talked to, or somebody that was on the case that never, or believed, someone that maybe just felt. Bad for the family, guilt maybe, maybe a little bit of guilt. I agree. Disclose, but the pictures. note being connected is what's interesting. Like, but see, that's why I throw out that narrative right there. That's exactly why I throw out that narrative. Initially, uh, is it's it the first thing that comes to mind is that someone from law enforcement uh, delivered the pictures out of guilt. But when they named the additional uh, people and said that they would be next, they were targeted next uh, to be victims, 
then that narrative gets a little bit sketchy at this point. Mm-hmm. Unless we want to believe that, that law enforcement is involved. Well, that gets to where my theory goes. But mm-hmm. uh, and then the fact that they chose to do it on his 25th birthday, approximately six years later. Why? Mm-hmm. Why six years later? Why on his birthday? You know, to me, it sounds it sounds as if someone wanted to send a very cruel and um, a disparaging message to the family. You know, sometimes you know people who commit crimes uh, still taunt their victims, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So to me, this is very taunting. It just it doesn't get any worse than this. That you know, you get pictures of your child, and I've seen the pictures. And so let's talk about the pictures. I know that you didn't want to look at the pictures, and it's probably best that you don't look at the pictures because they're very gruesome. Uh, but some of the things that are you notice in the pictures, I mean, for us amateur sleuths, I mean, anyone who has a brain and common sense will notice some of the things in these pictures that are unsettling. And the first thing that becomes unsettling to me is beyond the fact that the clothes that he was wearing did not seem to fit his body. So I tend to agree with the mother about the clothing because the clothing definitely looked disheveled on him. They looked oversized. Definitely didn't look like something that he had been uh, wearing prior to. But beyond that, you see twigs and leaves and things like that on the back of the clothing mm-hmm. and even in his hair so to me it tells me that he had been laying on the ground to me he looked like he had been dragged it, in the pictures the way the clothing was hanging off of him the the uh, the the debris from the ground that was on the clothing in his hair to me it looked like he had been drugged supports the EMT's theory right, the EMT he was said hoisted that into the air from a, a lying down position to me that's what it looked like and, and the so, EMT even said um, that he had the debris and stuff in his hair so that was you know that was originally stated you know from the original EMT on the scene well it's very obvious to see I mean no one mm-hmm. no one no one after reviewing these pictures can deny the presence of the debris I mean it's it's visible and clear as day in the pictures so you know, this is a very d- bizarre case. Very, very, very bizarre case. I feel like it's a solvable case. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Keith's mother, I think she passed away in, what, 2003? Maybe 2009, somewhere around that time frame. She passed away, never getting the opportunity to find out what happened to her child. Um, and I can only imagine, uh, you know, what type of feeling that is, you know, in your last days wondering you know what happened to your child so his sister uh sherry warren has continued this crusade to try to find justice for her brother Mm -hmm. um she definitely believes it to be murder um you know they've had private investigators advocates uh groups that have worked on this case and uh even with the Autopsy being done many, many years later. And, you know, I have an issue with autopsies that have not been, that are conducted years and decades later. How much evidence are you really going to find? Well, they found a lot because they can get into But the tissue, the tissue, and that's what they found. They found the toxins. From a toxicology standpoint, yes, I agree. But from a trauma standpoint, you know, there's there's not saying. there's not much you're going to find in autopsy uh, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with embalmed, uh, decomposed organs and and things like that versus when you're dealing with them fresh. Okay, uh, so okay, so let's take a step back. So his mom was successful in getting um, the body exhumed. They, like you said, they got a private investigator. They were able to get the body exhumed and they got it um, tested outside of Maryland. They sent it to Pennsylvania and they were able to get um, a independent autopsy done. And the result of that autopsy was that the there's no the the suicide theory cannot be medically supported was the exact quote. It cannot be medically supported. And so when you say that that it cannot be medically supported because they said that the toxins or the chemicals that were in his body he would have dropped dead. The There's TCE. no way he would have been able. There were high levels of TCE 
um, and other chemicals that were found in the all toxicology report, which mm-hmm. uh, you, you're absolutely right. They said that uh, immediately after ingesting uh, these chemicals, he would have been rendered unconscious, dead before he hit the ground. Right. And the um, the Maryland, you know, the state examiner said, oh, well, that's just from the embalming fluid. But again, you know, the independent examiner was like, no, like the levels, the, the levels exceed the embalming. And some of the like, chemicals that were embalming. found were not part of the embalming solution. As right. Well. Hate thinner and other stuff like that. Which is consistent to that era in time. Where you know a lot of people were uh, were dying from huffing um, chemicals, paint thinners, and things like that. I mean, um, you know, uh, the the lead singer from Half Five, he you know he died from you know uh, inhaling, um, I think it was what uh, antifreeze or something like that. But that was consistent in that time frame, so that kind of goes with what my theory was as to what happened to him. But we'll get more into that when we get to the theories. But yes, with those high levels of uh, chemicals, he's in this suicidal, manic, depressive state. Again, it takes me right back to my initial concern: How could he have done this? How could he have been lucid enough to go and 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 then there's no witnesses that that can testify to or speak to? Yeah, he went to this hardware store and he purchased this twenty five foot rope. Where did he get the rope from? You know, so and they can't produce any evidence where he obtained the rope. So to me, that suicide theory immediately has holes all the way through it. I mean, if this would have—I don't, I don't understand how this didn't go before a grand jury, because at the very least, if they weren't going to investigate potential suspects, at the very least, they should have ruled his death as a homicide and not a suicide. Um, and the fact that they didn't even uh, uh, take this before a grand jury to have this evidence, mm-hmm. this body of evidence, to be reviewed. And say mm, there's too many inconsistencies because the whole pictures, the whole 911 call, that's enough right there. That's enough reasonable doubt right there to say that this needs to be fully investigated because absolutely there, there's just too many oddities that can't be spoken to. Exactly. And I know that his mom is deceased, but a lot of these people are still very much alive. Like again, I think this is a very solvable case. I just it frustrates me. It, it does frustrate me because it brings me back to one of the reasons why we do this. And I don't know if anyone has listened to any of the other cases that we have covered, but they have been of persons of color. And, um, you know, I feel like everyone deserves justice, not just people of color. But what I'm saying is when people of color uh, are murdered or missing or uh, are involved in these tragic uh crimes they're not properly investigated and they're they're always in a category of victim blaming where they did something to contribute to them being missing or they their lifestyle contribute to them being murdered and i think that's exactly what we've done with keith we've spent too much emphasis on the whole car situation and he was depressed and his parents had got divorced we're now blaming the victim for his own death and saying that because of these things, this was motive enough for him to commit suicide instead of properly investigating the body of evidence to determine what the root cause was for how he ended up in the tree. How mm-hmm. did he get there? Because uh, your toxicology, and your medical examination medically can't support this happening. The the pictures, you can't speak to how they got delivered to the family and name someone who happens four months later to expire in a bizarre manner as well. To me, it sounds like uh, a very uh, botched but good cover up at the same time, because mm-hmm. whoever did this, they did they they there was sloppiness all the way around where if it would have been properly investigated, would have led back to a potential suspect. But because of the fact that there was a lack of interest in the case has allowed these people to get away with this crime that's almost 30 years old. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just, it's frustrating. 
it's very frustrating to see cases like this that are ruled as suicide and not even properly investigated. I mean, Keith didn't have any justice. His family didn't receive any justice. And, None at all. None and, at all. And the sad thing about it is uh, Mary did not get uh, a true definitive answer as to what happened to her son prior mm-hmm. to her passing. So that makes it even more tragic, um, this case. So let's jump into the theories. I'll let you go first. <laughs> what hey. do you think happened? So let me just give it a little setting. And we talked about this a little bit offline. As somebody who grew up in this area, let me just give paint the picture a little bit. Montgomery County in the 1980s was a very affluent area. Again, um, that doesn't mean that every single neighborhood, every single place in Montgomery County was affluent, but the median income, we looked up the, the, the data or whatever, the median income was about $20,000 higher than the national average at that time. And even today in 2021, the median income is $110,000, which is a pretty good, you know, that's a pretty good living. And so in the 1980s, Montgomery County was one of those places where as a black person, you didn't necessarily want to get caught after dark if you didn't belong there. If you were in the wrong neighborhood and you didn't have, you know what I mean? It definitely was a driving while black type situation that you could get caught up in I say all that to say this I think that um, my theory is I don't think it's a real complicated theory I think that Keith might have got caught up messing with the wrong girl because what I'm coming back to is the fact that he at some point was undressed at some point he didn't have clothes on because how did he get somebody else's clothes on to get on that tree and I really think that he might have been messing with the wrong girl he might you know we know that the majority of the people he hung out with were white guys and I really think that his death is connected to I think it's racial I think his death is is, is connected to race I think that the police officer that and I will be curious to find out if the police officer if it was ever investigated to see if the police officer had any connection to these people, like if he knew them somehow or there was some connection, because I think that there is definitely some malfeasance on the side of the police officer. Now, whether it was indifference, whether it was racial or whether it was helping some people cover some stuff up, I don't know. But I I think that Keith got caught up in a situation and I think it was racially motivated. Um, I think those three people that were in that house when the police showed up, um, were involved. I think they, I think they did it or were involved, and that's this is all my opinion and allegedly. <laughs> I don't want nobody coming after me, but um, I, I that's what I think. I think that Keith died in that basement. Um, I think that uh, whether he voluntarily, like you say, whether he was huffing and voluntarily um, took the drugs, but I think that. Um, but that's not what I think. I don't. I don't think it was an accidental overdose. I think he was murdered, um, and I think it's connected to who he was hanging with. But I don't believe it. this is just me, y'all. This is just me. I don't know if I necessarily believe that it was a car full of black kids looking for him. I just don't know if I believe that because I really believe that my my theory is that he died in that basement at the hands of those people in that house and it, and let me say this if there was a car full of black kids looking for him i don't think it's connected that it, that maybe it may maybe it did happen but i don't think it's connected to his death i don't think it has anything to do with his death definitely. so I, I i definitely I, I definitely see a lot of parallels to the alonzo brook case and uh we mm-hmm. actually covered this case uh so you guys want to go and listen at our uh uh recap or review of the Alonzo uh, Brooks case. Um, it's out here so you guys can search that and um, listen to that case. But there's so many parallels that bring me back to that case, even though it it, it happened decades later. However, uh, the, the, the mere fact that he was from Topeka, Kansas as well uh, as Alonzo Brooks, he's, he's from an uh, area in, in a time and in a time where you know 
racial tensions were high and, uh, you know, people of color weren't received well in affluent neighborhoods, um, especially where law enforcement was concerned. Uh, law enforcement to this day, we see this every day uh, all the time where law enforcement uh, mistreats people, uh, especially young men of color. He's riding around in a Corvette. He's a person of color. He's young. He's automatically going to be looked at as you are a drug dealer or you're dealing drugs. I do believe that uh, Alonzo was forced to inhale or ingest because, again, the autopsy was done years and years later. So we have no way of knowing how these chemicals got into his system. Was he injected with these chemicals? Was he forced to drink these chemicals? Or was he forced to inhale? I do believe. And there was no investigation to his body to see if maybe there was any bruising. Was he punched? Like, you know what I mean? Had he been in a fight or anything? But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. But I do believe that he was forced, for whatever reasons, to uh, ingest these chemicals. I do believe that it is centered around the fact that maybe not with a particular girl in, in, in per se, but the fact that his popularity had grown. He had become well-known around the neighborhood and probably at his school and was probably getting a lot of attention from some of the girls, white or black. And there were some people that probably didn't like that. There were some people that probably didn't like the fact that, you know, he's riding around in a Corvette, even though it's an older model Corvette. But from 1976 to 86, I mean, the car is 10 years old at this point. So it's Mm -hmm. not like he's riding around in a brand spanking new Corvette, but still the ideal of a young 19 year old black male riding around in a bright blue Corvette has got to get some unwanted attention from people. Uh, I do believe that after he was, uh, after he ingested these chemicals, that uh, his body had a natural reaction to such a large amount of chemicals, whether it's he uh, 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 threw up, uh, he may have even um, um, passed the bowel. There was a reason for him to be undressed. I'll just put it that way. Uh, I feel like whatever happened after he ingested those chemicals resulted in him having to be disrobed, possibly cleaned, and dressed in someone else's clothing. His his old clothing, his clothing was probably discarded. Jacket and boots thrown to the side. Why they wouldn't dress him back in his jacket and boots, I have no idea. Um. I think he may have been placed in his car because his car was found near the neighborhood. So it wasn't like the car was found, you know, somewhere stolen or taken away. The car was found within the vicinity of the neighborhood. Uh, Years later, the family, uh, I think his grandmother was out visiting and wanted to go out to the site where uh, Keith had passed, learned later on that the tree had been cut down. And when they called the police to report that, they asked, you know, what happened to the tree? And the response was, oh, it was taken for evidence. Why are we procuring and securing evidence for a suicide case that has been closed for years? Uh, I do believe that law enforcement may have been indirectly uh, involved in the cover-up, the lack of investigation, the lack of we know what this really is. Let's cover it up because you know we don't want to. We don't want to deal with this as a young black boy. Good riddance, good gone. Um, I do believe that uh, there may have been uh, other people that were uh, maybe associated with law enforcement. Like I said, it takes me back to parallels to the Alonzo Brook case where I do feel like maybe uh, one of the family members of the uh, or a friend of the family that was associated with these people that called the 911 call in probably helped to um, cover up the case. I do believe that uh, his friend Mark Finley was present during all this, maybe even participated for whatever reason, maybe was forced to participate uh, for whatever reason, in putting his friend in the tree. And as a result, he was a liability that had to be eliminated because, you know, dead bodies don't talk. 
And maybe uh, he was threatening, maybe he was threatening to like he couldn't deal with the guilt and he was threatening. And maybe that's why six years later, all of a sudden, you know. And maybe he maybe even was the uh person that may have delivered the pictures. Because maybe. keep in mind he left a message on the mother's answer machine saying that he was gonna come by and unload and tell her what happened to uh Keith. And at that point, he became a target. And he had to be a target that had to be eliminated. So uh, it's a tragic uh, case. We don't really know what the real motives were because we don't really know. Uh, we don't really know what the circumstances prior to his death had been like. You know, had he had run-ins with law enforcement before? Had he had problems with people in the neighborhood? Had he had problems with people at his school? You know, we don't really have too much backstory on what his relationship had been like prior to uh, all this culminating to his death. So he may have had some um, run-ins with some people, uh, maybe some of these black friends that he had been hanging out with. Maybe they were, uh, you know, involved in drugs or, you know, some things like that. And, you know, again, this this is my theory, my opinion. So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's alleged. But I do believe that the persons that uh, reported the crime are involved in some way, shape, form, or fashion, whether indirectly or directly. I do believe that his friend Mark Finley was involved, whether directly or indirectly. And I, I do believe that if this case had been actually properly investigated, uh, and I do agree with you, there is some malfeasance. I do believe that there is some criminal malfeasance at this point because uh, someone in law enforcement is involved in some way, shape, form, or fashion, either in taking the pictures because obviously these pictures weren't the original pictures that were associated with the police report. So wherever these pictures were kept at all these time, they were not associated with the official record of the crime scene photos. Right. So independently, someone had access to these pictures or secured these pictures over time. So uh, I do feel like someone in law enforcement was involved in that. Um, I do believe that whoever delivered the pictures to uh, Mary's house was not law enforcement. I think it was someone that was uh, uh, associated with uh, the murder, the lynching. And as a cruel uh, reminder to Mary what had to happen, I think it was just for shits and giggles. But how would they have gotten the pictures if those were the... So let me ask you this because, and I'm asking this because I don't remember were these was it confirmed that these were the official police pictures or were they just pictures from the scene no 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 they were official police uh photos because once right. the private investigator reviewed the photos he uh confirmed that they were uh police uh official photos right so then how would how would the murderer or the you know how would they get the police pictures if they weren't somehow connected to to law enforcement? Th that's, how would that's, they have those pictures? That's the narrative I'm driving at. Yeah, Th that's the narrative I'm driving at, and I I do even believe I read somewhere where the private investigator actually took the pictures to the chief of police, who did, who also confirmed that they were official crime scene photos. However, he had never seen them before. Uh, the people who had been working the case had never seen them before. So to me, it brings me back to the original investigating officer. Investigator. Mm -hmm. Correct. The, the one who said that we would, that um, that was interrupting his lunch. Okay. Correct. Uh, I, I feel he's uh, he's involved in some way, shape, form, and fashion. And when I say he's involved, uh, he may be involved accessory after the fact. I don't think he's directly involved in the murder, but I think he's more so involved in covering up the murder and making it a suicide because, I mean, he already came with the nonchalant approach that you're interrupting my lunch. So he wasn't um, he wasn't eagerly motivated from uh, the initial point to investigate this case, to uh, to be suspicious of this case as it being a homicide. So to me, I feel like he was already looking for a, a quick and easy, clean case, and that's pretty much what he wanted. So I think he helped support a lot of the cover-up just because he just didn't want to do his job. 
for whatever reason. It's a young black boy. Am I interested in solving this case? I don't care who killed him. You know, you interrupt my break. I don't want to. I don't want to waste mm-hmm. the time on it. So I, I feel like uh, tragically, this is what happened to Keith. So those are my thoughts. Hey, this like I said, ultimately, like both you know, we have very different theories, but we both agree that this is a solvable case if they would just go back, like you know. You know the the old TV show Cold Case, where you know they go in, they investigate. I feel like if there's a cold case unit in Montgomery County, this is a perfect uh, case for them because I feel like it's solvable. Like I I feel like if somebody just pulls out the file, talks to the, you know, even though his mother is not here, because the show's like unsolved, you know, mysteries, it's documented. His mother's version of events is documented, and. I feel like if they go back to the beginning, they start with those three individuals in that house and they work their way out. Yep. A lot of these people are still alive. A lot of these people may be willing to talk. Maybe they wouldn't have said anything in 1986, but in 2001, I mean, 21, they have a lot to say now. Maybe some of the people are have passed away and they're no longer afraid. The only to thing tell that, the story. that scares me or bothers me about that is how much of the evidence has actually been preserved, if any. Um, because as we know, DNA <laughs> DNA tells the truth. You know, yeah, and, and, and if there's confesses. any if there's any evidence that remains that could possibly be tested for any DNA uh, could probably yield us a lot of answers as well. I mean, we've seen that this week with the Faith Hedgepeth case. I mean, this case uh, we 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 had uh, had been cold for many many years, many 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 years, and you know we have an arrest in that case this week. So I do believe that you know, uh, but this the difference between the law enforcement that worked on that case versus this case is the law enforcement in that case was vigilant and they didn't give up and they just kept pursuing any and every lead. This law enforcement didn't pursue any leads at all because right because they don't want to even they don't even want to backtrack off of what they said really happened because like exactly you said, then, so then it would for force me, them to the have likelihood to do the work of them having any evidence any case files for that matter that's still around that hasn't been destroyed uh is very slim to none uh, i mean but but i just don't think it's that hard i really don't i mean and maybe this is just me wishful thinking but i don't even think they need all of that i think if they start asking the right questions i agree and they put a little bit of pressure on people i think people will talk and I think that they don't even need the DNA. They don't even need all of that. I think the right people will talk. But in order th- to prosecute them and get a conviction to stick, you're going to have to have more than just testimony. And- Not if they get a confession. Like, I think I, I think they can get a confession. Hmm. Well, it has first started to be investigated first. Before right. Somebody to has to point. accept that this is a murder and not a exactly. suicide. Exactly. Exactly. And I just don't understand how the district attorneys and the Department of Justice, FBI, all these law enforcement and uh, everyone who's in the pursuit of justice, uh, I mean, it's uh, taxpayer dollars are wasted all the time on cases. Uh, Taxpayer dollars are wasted all the time on prosecuting cases over and over again Mm -hmm. to get a conviction. So I think just a little bit of effort and resources put into this case could get us more answers than what we have right now. Maybe not solve it, but maybe get us very close to uh, an answer, a a potential answer, a person of interest, some type of new development in this case. If it starts with an investigation, a proper investigation, utilizing taxpayer dollars to get us some answers as to what happened to this young man. But it's 1986. He's dead and gone. His mother's dead and gone. They look at this as an open shut case. It, it never should have been an open su- shut case. And that's what just makes me so furious about this particular case, which is one of the reasons why I want to do it so much is because, you know, there are some of us out here that still feel for the family and still wish for um, answers to what happened to Keith. So if anyone has any information that can help, sheds any new developments or light on the case, please contact your local law enforcement. You know, there's petitions. There's so many different groups. I media, Facebook, Reddit. There's so many different 
uh, sources that have covered this case. And um, I just hope one day that we get an answer as to what truly happened to him. And I look forward to hearing that answer. Me too. All right, CP. Well, I guess that'll wrap this up for this week. You got anything else you want to shed light on regarding this case? No, we are. Um, there was, you know, we'll, we're going to have a follow up to a case that we did a couple of weeks back. Once we get more information, there was there was some information that came out this week, but we definitely that was exciting. Um, so, yes, yeah. very happy to see that there's arrest made, and I, I'm just I'm looking forward to more developments, and I think that right. uh, we're going to get some answers pretty fast in that case. Uh, we've waited long enough to get these answers, so I think that once they start shaking these trees and um, putting pressure mm-hmm. on the suspect that they have in custody right now. I think we're going to get a lot more of that story that uh, is going to be told um, here real soon in the next couple of weeks. I mean, he's going to have arraignments. Uh, so at the very least, we know that the district attorneys uh, is going to have to present a case. So uh, beyond the DNA, they're going to have to, uh, uh, to paint a narrative as to what happened that night. So we know we're going to get some new developments. It's just a matter of how they're going to be released to the public uh because this still has to be tried. So, you know, a lot of that details are going to be sealed. I mean, because it would took like 10 years for us to get some of the uh, redacted uh, information to mm-hmm. be unsealed. Yeah. So I can't wait to see how that progresses. All right. Agreed. So I guess Agreed. we'll be back uh, Sunday for power and um, we'll be back next week for. Uh, uh, a true crime. Uh, well, yeah, and we're case. actually working on clickbait. Like, I don't clickbait, know if you guys, yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah, if you guys clickbait. have been watching uh, clickbait over on Netflix, but check it out and meet us back here to talk about it. Yep, meet us back here. We got a lot of things to talk about, so we'll see you guys around. All right, peace. All right, later. This program is brought to you by TSF Entertainment Podcast.